0: This is the Gate Charlotte podcast.
1: We hope you enjoy this message.
0: Jonathan and Brian and I, just talking back and forth about how honored we are to be here. It is true. You, you guys are excellent. There's an organic excellence about the family that you've created. That's what God's building. He's building a family. He's not pulling together just a crowd or a congregation. He's building a family. If God was building something other than family, he would not have called himself Father. And uh, it's not often that I hear a spontaneous sound erupt from the people of God without some sort of coercion. And when I hear the sound, something just, whew, sound, the sound is passion that has found a place to burn. And always keep your passion for God hot. Keep your passion for God burning Because when your passion goes, your character is soon to follow. Show me a person with no passion for God, and I'll show you a person who spent no time in the presence in recent days. In the world, you eat to get full. In the presence of God, you eat to get hungry. Show me somebody who has a hunger for the presence, and I'll show you somebody who has spent time at the buffet. Mm Mm-hmm. We don't hunger from a place of lack. Not hungering for something that we don't have. We're hungering because we've tasted and we've seen that he's good and we want more. Yeah. Keep your passion and your hunger hot. Fire burning. Never let it die. It can. I'm telling you. You have three voices you contend with. You got the voice of God, which is awesome. You got your voice, which is pretty good. You're made in his image and likeness as long as you're surrendered to that union of you and God in Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. You also have the voice of demonic influence. That's out there too. A lot of times people think because the devil is defeated means he doesn't exist. There's no war between God and Satan. That's a done deal. And the only fight you're called to fight is the good fight of faith. But there is war between the demonic and the angelic. Even within the context of the finished work of the cross and the new covenant, the defeated devil can still talk and try to invite you into agreement. Well, you don't have to listen. Anything that erodes and steals the love, joy, and the peace and the righteousness of the kingdom of God in your life, well, you know where that comes from. I guess what I'm saying is don't let anybody kill your buzz. <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> <laughs> and then it comes up to you and they got words and they sound good. Maybe even theologically they might line up with everything that you feel your buzz diminishing. Just back up and go, whoa, bro. You're killing my buzz, man. Can't let you do that. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm hearing a lot of facts, but not a lot of truth. So, so I know truth is going to just light my fire. Mm-hmm. Well, you don't want to get weird. (laughs) You got blue people in the church, you're going to have weird. Came from Austin, Texas, and the motto of the city was keep Austin weird. And the word weird, you look up the word weird, it means pertaining to the supernatural. (laughs) Stay weird, people. (laughs) <laughs> I don't know, you, you never have to worry about offending people with the authentic. Yeah, okay. oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> you never have to worry about offending people with the authentic. People are looking for authentic, and they're going to churches where it sounds authentic, and on TV it looks authentic, and on CDs it sounds authentic, and they get there, and they can't find the presence, and millennials all over the place are calling it quits on this thing called church. They're looking for Christianity, not churchianity. Stay authentic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm surprised how often I go to churches where we encourage people to have a relationship with a God who is spiritual, is, is spirit, and then we warn them against becoming too spiritual. <laughs> so ironic. You never have to worry about offending people with the authentic. The authentic gospel will always offend the mind to reveal the heart. And when it does, man, you're free to become who you really are, who God has always known you to be. Uh-huh. Well, Tracy, come here and rescue me for a second. <laughs> tell them what you saw and what you heard. This is my wife Tracy, you guys. Come on. I met I met her when I was 5 years old. She's my next door, I just oh, she was my next-door neighbor, my best friend, lifelong best friend and we, we met.
1: We made mud pies together. We
0: met, we met, we were 5 and we got married like a short while after that cuz cuz it was Texas. <laughs> actually we were super young we were so young when we got married the minister said oh, no, you may kiss no, the no. bride I was like gross
1: you asked me to come up here <laughs> I should have rescued you before you got I to know. that joke So. <laughs> that's not true uh, no it is, it is amazing to be here with you guys and you know we have the privilege of getting to go to a lot of places. And this place is very, very hot, yeah, like yeah. a thin place. like, and and I feel like as we've driven around Charlotte, it, it's almost like mm-hmm. I just feel like angels just fluttering around everywhere. <laughs> and um, I, it's just a really special place. And what's happening here? I can't even describe it. like it I feel like it's something so big and it's going to expand. In a way that I can't quite comprehend, but there's something really huge and beautiful. So, but on the first night during worship, I kept getting a picture in my mind. I was seeing volcanic rock, and um, but it, you know how volcanic rock is like. I don't, it's well, we lived in Hawaii one year, so I've seen a lot of volcanic rock. But but there's a lot of cracks and and holes and grooves in it. And uh, what I kept seeing was this beautiful green growing up through this, and, uh, and it was weaving its way through the rock and through the cracks, and it was emerging and it just growing big and beautiful. And, of course, with volcanic rock, you know, there's fire involved. So, you know, I feel like you guys, there's something about this place. You know, you've come through fire, and, and there's something big and beautiful coming out yeah. of it. And, like, in Hawaii, the, uh, the volcanic rock, and, of course, when it happens, I mean, it just looks like nothing. I mean, it's just ugly. And, but then beauty comes and, and it grows into something that people come from all over the world because they want to go to paradise. And that's what I was feeling here. Like people are going to be drawn here. and also that volcanic rock, it, and the growth that comes out of it, it's like the poss- like what's impossible? Looks impossible, but it's made possible. So people coming from really broken places, impossible places, um, going through situations in their life where they feel like there's no possible way that, you know, things are going to turn around, but it it will. And there's something about that here that you carry. And so I just see a lot of people coming. They're going to be drawn here. Healing is going to take place in a big way. And as, as the Simmons prayed today, too, uh, they touched on marriages and just praying protection over the marriages. And so I, I felt like that really pinged with me. And uh, so I'm excited about what's happening here. Yeah. And I just bless you guys and, and do speak that protection over this body, over every person here, over relationships, marriages, over your lives. And like just knowing there's always hope. There's always hope.
0: Yeah, Brian did something this morning. I really feel strongly to do this. He had all the singles stand. I'd like all the married people to stand. Tracy, would you just make a declaration over all of all these couples? Sure.
1: Father, I thank you for these relationships. We thank you, God, for covenant. Thank you, Lord, for the power of promise. Yes, God. And I thank you, Lord, that you're the covenant keeper. And even when we break ours, you are faithful wow. to keep the covenant on our behalf, Lord. And, and so I just speak life over every person here and protection over yes, these God. covenants, over these couples, Lord, and that you will begin stirring things inside of them, Lord, if there's any hidden things, if there's any barriers, any walls, that those things come to the surface and that they be demolished in Jesus' name yes. as truth and light come and and just bring life and renewal And I pray that each couple would fall in love with each other again and again and again, (laughs) and that it would be greater and greater every time that they couldn't even imagine that they could be any closer, Lord, but that they keep growing closer and closer in body, soul, spirit, and mind. I just thank you for them, God. And we bless um, all of the singles. Bless you guys (laughs) in Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank Amen.
0: you, man. Awesome. As you married couples and families in here, you see singles around, you adopt them. Singles around here, you see couples around, you adopt them. Adoption goes both ways in the kingdom. In the kingdom, it's not just fathers and mothers adopting sons and daughters. It's sons and daughters adopting fathers and mothers. And, uh, yeah, yeah, it's, it's how Bill building of family occurs as is, is, um, we hold on to one another. It's, it's, a, it's a big deal. Um, I want to talk to you guys tonight about something that was triggered for me in worship, and that's the sound of God. We, we spoke of the voice of the Lord um, yesterday, and we talked about it started to just scratch the surface on this thing of the voice of the Lord.
1: <clears throat>
0: uh, I want to just hear, I want to know the nuances of the sound of God. I feel like I've heard so many languages of the Spirit. There was a time where where um, we had an occurrence happen in, in Austin, Texas many years ago that opened us up to the supernatural possibilities of what what God was capable of. My I, I built a church in Austin um, along with a wonderful company of people, and we built a, a church. It was a growing assembly of God church. God bless the assemblies. And um, and once it was built, we had, this, had a great staff. We had a great team. Uh, everything was very professional. Everything was done with excellence. Was, everything with excellence was our thing, and <clears throat> and my dad came to visit one Sunday, and I said, "Dad, would you like? Would you think of the church? I mean, everything was like perfect, down to the minute. We had it programmed." And um, dad said, "Bill, you're so excellent. You don't even need the Holy Spirit, and you could still do church." <clears throat> yeah. Well. So I determined. I said, "We we need we need a, more of the the element of the supernatural, the spirit, something happening in this church." And so I gathered our staff together on a, a Saturday afternoon, and. Um, October of 2004, somewhere in there. And i um, standing in the middle of the sanctuary and I uh, said, "Ceiling uh, about this high, and I said, God, send the rain of your presence. And water started falling inside our building, literal water. My wife was there, my daughter who's with me here, Sarah, who's amazing. You, you, you want prayer tonight, have Sarah lay hands on you and pray for you. She's like, Dad, I'll be here for four hours praying for everybody. <laughs> Trust me, it's worth it, Um, it it's awesome. So my son's there, we have a number of our staff members, we're all sitting there watching water fall everywhere. I mean, it was front to the back, side to side, water is falling off of our ceiling, all over everything. And I said, this is bad, this is wrong, this will ruin everything, totally missed it. I was just, you know, ran out to my car to get my phone to call a contractor, and I went outside, my son, who's 10 years old at the time, comes running out after me. And he was the one that noticed that there wasn't a cloud in the sky. And he said, Dad, look, it's dry outside, but it's raining in the sanctuary. And I stopped and I looked at the sky, and this is what I heard in my spirit. If I pour out on this church what you have just asked me for, the same response you just had will be the same response your congregation has. This is bad, this is wrong, and this is going to ruin everything. And I thought, oh my God, what have I done? And uh, that was the beginning of our journey into a supernatural existence, a life of miracles, which our life has been filled, filled, filled with miracles, a day without a miracle. As Bill Johnson said, it's just not, not a full day, you know. And, uh, and so we keep our eyes open for the miraculous and just make it part of the norm. That's the thing is it's keeping the miraculous going. It's like having this awareness that everything, that you touch everything, you see everything is more spiritual and supernatural than you can even begin to imagine. So we speak of and talk about the sound of God, like I used to have this manifestation that would happen when I said, God, I want to I know your presence. And the thing that came to me was I felt like God said, every one of your senses that I've given you was created first and foremost for communication with me, for communion with me, to enjoy my presence. You're made my image and likeness to enjoy my presence and then turn and, and exercise the authority and dominion that I've given you within the earth today. And uh, yet, my communion with God, all of my senses were meant for that. And so, I started seeing things, started hearing things. You'd smell fragrances of... Uh, you know, in 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 just this amazing amazing fragrances, you knew the spirit was in the room. You feel temperature changes, wind when there is no wind, that kind of thing. And I started getting this sensation where I would feel fire in my hands. It wasn't a hot like a burning burning. It was a, it was a hot like I could feel tangible heat. Tracy had something similar where she felt like it was like a like a, like somebody had heated up a silver dollar and put it in the palm of her hand, and, and you could feel weight to it. And so I'd be like, oh, well, what do I do with this? And then of course that was a time where I felt like God was saying, now go lay hands on people and amazing stuff would happen you know you think oh my goodness I'm an X man I got a superpower now and it will always be this way but see in the kingdom God never never will allow you to exalt the principle of His presence and whenever you start relying more upon a, a principle or a formula more than upon presence and relationship he doesn't mind shutting down that avenue of communication at least that's the way it was for me and uh, there was a time I remember we had a school in Austin, Texas for a time, and, and there was a kid named J.D. Graff that was there. I love, I love this kid. He's such a such a fireball even today, and um, and uh, he ha- he had this burning thing in his hands, and uh, and he'd go around he lay hands on people. It's, he says, well, "What happens when I feel this?" I said, "Well, God wants to touch somebody through you, so go and and lay hands on somebody." So he's in the library one day at, at the Presbyterian Theological Seminary in Austin, and. And he feels his hands start burning in the library. And there's only one guy. And he goes over and lays hands on him. the guy ends up, you know, having this wacky experience with God. But Jay himself had never actually, like, spoken in tongues. He'd never, like, been slaying in the spirit, had anything like that happen. We'd lay hands on him a bunch and nothing would happen. All he had was this fire thing. And yet everybody would touch. It would just, you know, they'd be out. They'd, you know, start laughing. Joy would be restored. Healing would come. And so uh, really kind of a cool phenomenon. So one day he's walking across the the uh, the open space in the in the seminary grounds and his hands start burning and he calls me right after this tells me what happened he says Bill my hands started burning and I looked around and there was nobody around I go what'd you do he said I was the only person there <laughs> 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 said so I laid my hands on myself <laughs> boom come to and I'm speaking in tongues I'm laid out on the ground I'm like I'm like, I gotta see if I can find a chapter and verse for <laughs> slaying yourself in the spirit <laughs> and filling yourself with the Holy Ghost and impartation. I don't even know if you can do that, but apparently he did it. Um, so these phenomena would happen; these these things would take place. And our church in Austin, it was a weird church. I mean, it, it is still it's a weird church. I love it. It's a great great house. And I just preached there a couple of weeks ago. And we had some weird people. that would come, who, who met the Lord on drug trips, and I think i walking into, Remember this one guy come walking in the sanctuary, and, and he'd feel what he called the gooey glory of God, and he'd like open up the door of the sanctuary and go, Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and Be like, what are you doing, he's like, gooey glory, <laughs> took him a half an hour to walk down to the front, it's like, <laughs> weird, You know, and then manifestations would show up. We'd have entire sections of chairs covered in gold, and then the gold would go away, you know, and, like, and show up over here, and we were like, oh, that's just glitter. I'm like, but it goes away. You know what happens if you pour glitter on something? Glitter is like, it's like, it's like the herpes of craft supplies, <laughs> right? It's like, it, it never, <laughs> it's like, you can't fake that stuff, you know? <laughs> or we'd have, uh, you know, back when, Back when the feather clouds were big, and everybody was seeing feathers, right? Feather clouds are, we have white feathers. You, you can Google, you know, uh, Cathedral of Praise Austin, Texas, and you'll see a YouTube video of a Jeff Jansen meeting in our church where feathers were just swir- swirling around like a, like a hurricane in there. It stopped the whole meeting. Everybody's like shooting video up at the ceiling. It was like ridiculous, you know? And then when the white feathers, hey, when that got old, then we got colored feathers. We got red, blue, yellow feathers. People were like, well, somebody just like put, you know, feathers in front of a fan or stuck them in the vent." But when the service was over, you couldn't find a single one on the floor. We had people finding gemstones on the floor. We had a lady that found a diamond, got it put into a ring, sold it off, paid some debt. Uh, it was crazy stuff, I'm like weird, weird things that would go on. But then there came this point in time where it's like we became so enamored in a sense with, with the weird thing that was going to happen this week that one day it just went done. Here's the crazy part. The presence didn't lift. He just wasn't, he just wasn't validating his presence with a, with a manifestation that we could see as much as it's just you'd walk in the room and you knew the presence was there. you come together as a gathering. You knew the presence was there. So we don't validate the presence by the manifestations. You've got to learn to hear his voice whether the gold or feathers or anything shows up or not. I think the growth that we experience in our lives is most is most evident in the times when we steward moments of insignificance. That is moments where it's like, what happened today, man? When we gave an altar call, nobody came. We asked for anybody want to be filled with the Spirit, nobody showed up. Um, you know, nobody nobody had a weird manifestation, and nothing supernatural happened. But wow, God was actually He was there. We knew it. We we could feel it. We knew, we were totally aware of it. And when you become the, the, that place where you can can understand that. It's like Elijah, Elijah who comes down off of Mount Carmel, you guys remember this, I believe it's uh, 1 Kings 19, Elijah has come down off of this amazing experience on Mount Carmel where the fire of God has fallen, he's actually seen the physical manifestation of the fire of God fallen, liquefy rock and everything of the sacrifice, even the water, and and then uh, Elijah has a run-in with Jezebel and She's able to actually speak a lie that he believes enough to where it discourages him to the point in 1 Kings 19, he says, God, just kill me now. I'm the last one left. The interesting thing is he's not. There's 7,000 who have bowed their knee to Baal. Here's what I want you to see. Elijah doesn't have his facts right, but God isn't interested in getting his facts right. That's not the cure. A lot of times you see people, well, they got that wrong. Well, that's not actually right. I need to correct that. We have a knee-jerk reaction to correct everybody's erroneous facts. Here's what God does with Elijah. Elijah's in a cave. He's in isolation. He's even suicidal. In other words, he wants to be taken out of the earth. And God says to him, get out of this cave and get up in plain sight on top of the mountain. Come meet with me. Which is interesting. Because God can, right there, he could speak a word that would correct Elijah's facts. But that's not the point. See, the cure is to get in the presence. The cure is to stop the isolation, shut down whatever your cave happens to be, right? Maybe your cave is a relationship. Maybe it's a job. Maybe it's just flat busyness. Maybe it's the fact that you just overextended your identities and your work. Whatever it happens to be, whatever your cave is <clears throat> that's blinding you to the truth of the word of God and you have a whole new set of facts. God, You're waiting for God to come and correct your facts. Well, everybody on Facebook's gonna try to correct your facts because we think that's the cure is if we can just, oh, everybody, if we just get everybody corrected No, it's the presence. It's the presence. I I seriously think that that God's a lot less interested in correcting our version of the facts than we are. He spends 8,000 hours with his disciples in Christ, right? Jesus spends, say, like eight hours a day for three years. It's 8,000 hours with these disciples, and by the time he ascends, he still leaves them with issues. He hasn't fixed all of their issues. So if you ever think you're getting discipleship done in a couple of hours a week, you're delusional. (laughs) Just saying. So so the reality is that God says to Elijah, get out of the cave and get up on top of the mountain. Get in plain sight. Get my presence. And when he does, amazing things happen. He has some crazy manifestations. One of those manifestations gets an earthquake and and, uh, things like that. But one of the manifestations is fire. Fire shows up. And it says, but the Lord was not in the fire. Well, that's interesting because fire is exactly what the Lord was in on top of Mount Carmel just a little while ago. And yet, when the fire shows up, Elijah is aware of the presence. Now he's surrendering himself to the presence of the Lord. The manifestation shows up, but God's not in it. So the lack of manifestations doesn't prove whether God was there or not. And the presence of manifestations doesn't either. It's not the manifestations the presence that we're after. And, and don't let the manifestations be a distraction to you in the presence. In other words, don't shut down the presence to try to go clean up a manifestation. Just saying, you're always going to have flesh. God made you flesh. He's not so opposed to it that he, he's freaked out by it. It's okay, you're always gonna have flesh from people who are trying new things and trying to like, I'm trying to hear from God. Maybe I should lean a little this way. Maybe, you know, and and then, and then God just takes somebody and he has two people standing up front and this person here just wants to be serene and quiet and this person over here, he grabs him and shakes him around a little bit and says, let's dance and this person's doing this thing and this person's getting frustrated and this person's getting frustrated because this one's not doing what this one's doing. And one of the most beautiful compliments in our church in Austin one time was this young girl who'd never been to a church, a church like ours before, and there's all this weirdness going on. One guy's dressed up in a full Superman costume and doing laps around the room. <clears throat> Somebody else felt the Mary Poppins anointing, got an umbrella, and tried to leap off the stage. All of these things are true, all right? And you go, what do you do with that stuff? I'm like, I have no idea what to do with any of this stuff. And this young lady who was standing next to me, she goes, this is really amazing. Everybody's doing their own thing, but they're all together. And suddenly God spoke to me and says, there's two kinds of freedom in the anointing in a gathering. There's individual freedom and there's corporate freedom. Individual freedom is what you walk into the room with. You exercise that individual freedom. But there will be times when a leader, a father, a mother in a house steps up and, and says, I really feel like we all, like it happened tonight, all of us, let's lift up a sound. Let's take what God is doing spontaneously and let's all come into it. And listen, religion will trigger you and say, well, that sounds like control. No, here's, here's the way this works. This is when you exercise the fruit of self-control, take your individual freedom and set it aside to step into a corporate freedom. And in that corporate and freedom, there comes a corporate anointing where unity starts being put on display at a whole other level. And it's that unity that actually testifies to the world who Jesus really is. Make sense? So you carry an individual freedom, but look for those moments of opportunity to lay down your individual freedom for a time to step into a corporate anointing, just like we did tonight. And I'm telling you, I'm standing back there in the corner, and he says, waves are going, I'm seeing them with my eyes. Like, it's like, is this just the light effect in the room? No, I don't think these lights are moving. This is crazy. There are waves happening. I'm watching everybody in this room, literally from the back to the front, because I can see it. I'm just like, I'm watching like 100% participation of people going, I'm in. When that happens, yeah. Yeah. it's a most precious expression of worship. I know that some of you in here are having great weeks. Some of you are having a great week. You've had a great weekend. Some of you are having difficult times right now. Some of you are suffering right now. Some of you are in circumstances and seasons right now where you're just like, man, I don't even know what. But you understand, when you come into a place and, and a father or mother stands up and says, let's all, and, and invites you into a corporate anointing, and you're willing to, to lay everything aside for this moment to step in unity in the body, You're giving to God in that moment a most precious sacrifice that you will not be able to give him in eternity and that is worship in the midst of circumstances that are trying to exalt themselves against his glory. It's not gonna be a problem before the throne. All the circumstances to be done before the throne. But uh, oh my goodness. Mm, All right. I should probably preach something here. All right, so John 15. (laughs) Uh, Everything in this world, supernatural, spiritual, is held together, according to Colossians 1. says he holds all things together by the power of his word or the word of his power. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. The spoken, the, the sound of God, the vibrations of God, science itself will tell you that this thing right here made up of more nothing than something. This thing right here feels so solid is actually more empty space than substance. Why? Because there's atoms. It's fascinating. I love science and it's a this stuff. And it, and it testifies so much to the things of God. And, and you take your atoms with your protons and your neutrons. I'm going to dumb this way, 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 way down just for me. But you take your protons and neutrons. You take, you take your, you take your uh, atoms and you put two atoms together. You know, they always wondered why atoms don't fly apart. Like, why do you stay together? Like, why when I throw my arm out here, my hand doesn't just fly off the end of my body. Why is this thing held together and why does it retain its shape? And then then they built, uh, I don't know how many billions of dollars they spent on the large Hadron Collider just to come up with. What the Bible's been telling us all along, that he holds everything together by the power of his word and the word of his power, and they split these atoms, and they found what they named the Higgs boson particle, and you might have heard about it in the news, called the God particle. What they discovered is that when you take two atoms you put them together, a third, boom, just appears. It's a weird thing. It's like it's this third one that just sort of like pulls them all together. And I'm making a figure eight, but this atom doesn't do that. It actually appears here, then here, then here, then here, then here, then here, and sometimes two places at the same time. And they can't exactly tell what in the world the thing's going to do. It's very unpredictable, but they know there's this mysterious third particle that just somehow appears out of nowhere that holds these atoms together. In him, all things consist, and he holds all things together. By the power of his word and the word of his power. He literally, that's why it says all things, in him all things consist. <laughs> that's why Paul was able to, and, and make such a radical statement in, in Colossians 2, he's, 2, 9 and 10, he says, but the fullness of the Godhead dwelt in bodily form and in Christ, and in him you have been made complete. In other words, you're already made complete in him, you just don't know how complete you already are. <laughs> and then he goes on to say that there's no barbarian, Scythian, slave or free man, Jew or Greek Christ is all and in all. What is he doing? He's looking everywhere, and everywhere he looks, he sees Christ, even out of the mouth of the atheist that said there is no God. Paul's looking at everybody, and he just sees Jesus. He sees the sound of God literally holding the entire universe together on an atomic level. In Christ, all things in him hold together. Now, uh, when God Turn the lights of the universe on, he did so with speech, which is fascinating because we need an atmosphere in order to perceive speech, sounds, or words. But God spoke words without an atmosphere to speak into, which means his speech goes much deeper than just sound waves flowing through the air. Yet, when the word became flesh and dwelt among us, he submits himself to all of our uh, familiarity, the things that we're familiar with, uh, being in flesh. And and living and doing life in flesh and eating food and breathing air and speaking words, spirit and life. that carry substance, they also carry sound. And there's so much about this in the scripture. It's worth going and taking a look at like quantum science and how it relates to scripture and how it's essentially, I have a a cousin that's a a professor at MIT and and, um, they'll tell me that, you know, quantum is just a really scientific sounding word for scientists saying, yeah, we have no idea what we're talking about. So uh, so really everything in the universe is sound, and I believe it's the sound of God. And so when Jesus shows up, and one of the things I'm really interested in is when you speak, you release spirit and life, right? But I want to know, why are you talking? Like, what exactly is behind the power of the sound that you're releasing? And, and if as you are, so are we in this world, then what does that mean for my own words? So I've started to become really conscious I'm trying to become more so conscious of the words that I speak and the power behind those words. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. That's not just a poetic way of saying talk nice. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. Your ability to create sound that emanates from a spirit surrendered to the spirit of God can actually produce a wave through an atmosphere that upon impact can have life giving effect. So when Jesus, anywhere he says, I'm talking to you for this reason, I'm interested. I want to know why. In John chapter 15 and John chapter 16, Jesus makes a statement three times. And the statement that he makes goes like this. These things I have spoken unto you so that. And the first place I want you to go with me is in John chapter 15, it's going to be in verse 11. And Jesus is coming up on the end of his ministry here.
1: <clears throat>
0: and he's been walking with the disciples. He's been talking about abiding in me and I in you and ask what you will and will be done for you. And my father's glorified, Da da and all these things. Beautiful, beautiful teachings. Then he gets to this part where he says, These things I've spoken unto you so that my joy might remain in you and your joy might be full. Again, I'm thinking about this tonight because of the sound that I heard in this room. I want you to understand there's a reason behind the sound. Because made in his image and likeness, when you understand the reason behind the sound, then you'll know what you're releasing when a father or mother in the house tells you, let's lift up a sound, lift up your voice. What are you releasing? What are you giving away? Here's the first thing he says. These things I've spoken to you so that my joy, everybody say the word joy might remain in you, felt that, that's good, (laughs) that my joy might remain in you, and your joy might be full. (laughs) Jesus is saying, there's sound that's coming out of my mouth, and the reason for it is that the joy, the eternal joy that goes just beyond happiness, right, way beyond happiness, the eternal joy of heaven would be injected into the very essence of your being every time you hear my voice. I'm talking to you so that you get happy. Now, in John chapter 16, he's talking to him, and, and this is what he says. We're on verse 6 or so. He says, and as I'm speaking to you, sorrow has filled your heart. See that? As I'm speaking, sorrow has filled your heart. Wait a minute. Back in 1511, he said, I'm talking to you so that my joy might be in you and your joy might be full. But as he's talking, joy is not the response they're having. But wait a minute, Bill. Isn't the word of God the most powerful force in the universe? How can it be resisted? I mean, just give you a really, really important, important point to hold close into your heart. You get to choose how you respond to the voice and the presence of the Lord. We think, oftentimes, the voice of God shows up he'll move me I'll do it if he makes me I'll speak in tongues if he grabs my tongue and starts going blah blah la, 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 la. <laughs> I don't know these people that seem to like you know get the jerks and you know they're doing the Harlem shake or whatever in the middle of service I don't understand I'll do that if God moves me mm-hmm the same sun that melts hardens clay. And you can actually have a moment in the presence of God where you're just getting rocked by the Lord and the person sitting next to you is looking at their watch going, oh, this thing going to be done? Because you get to choose how you respond to the voice, the presence, and the sound of God. And the disciples have a filter over their heart. They have an expectation on Jesus that he's going to come and do one thing, and he's not doing that thing. And because he's not doing that thing, their filter will not allow them to receive the sound of God that formed the universe in a way that infuses joy, but they choose sorrow instead. <clears throat> I'll give you another example. The apostle John, in Revelation chapter 5, gets taken into the throne room of God. And as he's in the throne room, there's a bit of a play going on for John. God's sitting on the throne. He's got a scroll in his hand speaking. Who's worthy to be opened the scroll? Who's worthy? Nobody's found worthy to open the scroll. The lion and the lamb hasn't shown up yet. So John's about to get a revelation of Jesus Christ because that's really what the whole book's about. He hasn't gotten to that part in the play yet. No one's found worthy to open the scroll. And John's response, standing in the throne room, hearing the voice of a joy-filled God, is he starts weeping. And the angel standing next to him goes, Hey, Knock it off. He's in the throne room of God and he has a wrong response to the presence. You're not guaranteed to get it right even if Jesus showed up in bodily form and started preaching a sermon to you. It's a purposeful, intentional posturing of the heart to say, God, I want to receive your word in the way that you want me to receive it. Let me tell you, when he speaks, this is what he's injecting into you, joy, joy. In other words, as he's talking, if you're not getting happy, you don't understand what he's saying. Keep listening until you get happy. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> oh, but so much of the word, it seems it seems so... Oh. Everything in here that has formerly made me sad or scared Perfect love casts out fear. And when I get scared, when I get partnership with fear because of a word from God, means I didn't understand what love said. Go back and look at it again and ask the Holy Spirit to begin to reveal something. I got a word on the Ten Commandments for you. Here's a sermon within a sermon within a sermon. We call them Ten Commandments. Why don't you look at them as ten declarations? Maybe they're not so much commandments as they are declarations of identity. You're not a thief. You're not an adulterer. You don't envy because you have everything you need. You don't covet because you have all you need in me. You're not this. You're not that. You're not that. Maybe the commandments are not so much commandments of how not to act, but who not to be. This is not who you are. Listen, I I don't avoid stealing because stealing is wrong. It is, but that's not the reason I don't steal. I don't steal because I'm not a thief. It's not who I am. And one of the reasons why people get locked into behaviors that they're having to overcome all the time is because they exercised the behavior once, twice, or maybe it was a habitual thing, and maybe they even got put in jail for it. When they got put in jail for it, then they got the label of behavior, and that became their identity. Some of you sat in an Alcoholics Anonymous meeting for 20 years. You haven't taken a drink in 20 years, and every week, every morning at 8 o'clock, you go and tell everybody you're an alcoholic. Are you? Really? Well, but I've been told if I, if, if, I don't, if I don't be honest with who I am, then I'll just revert back to that lifestyle. No, if you be honest with who God says you are, you never even have a touch. I'm not doubting on AA. It's helped a ton of people. But there's a, there's a 13th step, and it's letting the Holy Spirit reveal to you who the Father says you are coming into agreement with it. So... <clears throat> i'm trying (laughs) all right second thing let's move on to point two it's only three points in this message point two is 16 verse 1 john chapter 16 verse 1 these things i've spoken unto you so that you may be kept from stumbling oh this is it bill i get it so if i say i take all of the things that he tells me not to do as jonathan was talking about over a thousand commands from the new testament right uh, if I could do all those things, then I will be kept from stumbling. In other words, doing those things, is what that's what's going to keep me pure. Well, if you go back to John chapter 15 and verse 3, Jesus has uh, been walking with the disciples down through the Kidron Valley. He's going down through uh, vines and grapes and all this stuff, and he's doing all these analogies of being in the vine and everything. And then he somehow says to the disciples, at some point during this walk talk, he says, and now you're clean through the word that I've spoken unto you. Well, let's just say that John and I, are uh, <clears throat> we're a couple of the disciples, and we're kind of lagging in the back. And we're sort of catching like every fourth word. And all of a sudden, we're just like walking along, trying to hear Jesus and, and I hear, now you're clean through the word that I spoke. And I'd be like, whoa, John, you just said we're clean. What, I forgot, I missed it, what did we do? I don't know. Jesus says, what are you guys talking about? I'm sorry, you just said we got clean, but I think we missed like an action step here. Uh, everybody, everybody do something, we didn't do it. But we were supposed to like hop or something, what do we do? Huh? No, no, Bill, uh, I'm talking, and now you're clean. I don't think I understand. All right, I'm here talking, sound is coming out of my mouth, you're in the room, and now you're clean. But we didn't do anything, exactly. Presence. Was God speaking over me? Absolutely. The Bible says he'd been rejoicing over you from before the foundation of the world. He rejoices over you with singing. Rejoicing over you with singing means that that song has lyrics. Do you understand that God has been singing over you a lot longer than you've been singing over him? We gave God, what, 45 minutes, an hour of worship tonight? That's fine. Don't think of it as God sitting up in heaven going, oh, yeah, I like this song. Not this one so much. <clears throat> I'll do this one. Oh, 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 here's my favorite. Oh, I love it when Tiffany sings this one. This is great. Guys, gotta come here. Angels, bring the angels in. We gotta, you gotta hear this one. This is my favorite. Pull up a chair. Now listen to these guys sing for me. no. No, he rejoices over you with singing. You know the only reason that you have an appetite to worship? Because you are made in the image and the likeness of the one who's been singing over you since before the foundation of the earth. When you worship, the sound of earth and heaven, as he said tonight, becomes a divine convergence zone. There's a collision that happens. As the voice of God singing over you collides with your voice singing over him. And there becomes this sound. It's it's, 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 a, its a moment of love and adoration. It's not just God receiving your worship. His lyrics over you go longer than your lifespan on this earth. It says the thoughts that he has for you, according to Psalm 139, outnumber the sand. I'm no expert in the sand, but I do live in Florida. And we got a little... A lot of sand down there. Hmm. You understand that if you could just come into agreement with 10 grains of sand worth of what God believes about you, it would change your whole life? I'm not talking about the state of Florida, the Sahara Desert. We haven't even gotten that far yet. Let's just do 10 grains of sand worth of what God believes about you. (laughs) Meditate on that for five minutes and it will melt your brain. He said, Bill, if I think about stuff like that, isn't it going to make me proud? No. You can't take pride in something you didn't do. It'll make you proud about it. You didn't do it. I'm responsible for how much he loves you, how much he th- sings over you. Well, but, you know, my sin, your sin has just blinded you how loved you are by God. Your sin doesn't have the power to dictate to God how he can feel about you. He made up his mind to love you long before you ever had the chance to impress him or disappoint him. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> I hope your heart is melting. It's just good news. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 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 Woo. <laughs> These things I've spoken to you so they'd be kept from stumbling. How? Because you're already clean. Because I already spoke them over you. But what if I do stumble? Well, God's not allowing your transgressions to be put in your account, 2 Corinthians 5. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself by not allowing their transgressions to be put into their account. It's not that he looked at the world and found people who weren't transgressing and decided to save them. He looked at the world, saw a bunch of people transgressing, and said, you know, we're not going to count that against them. And if you don't have your transgressions counted against you, well... What is it that makes you unclean? What is it that makes you impure? What is it that makes you lacking in any kind of perfection? It's your sins or transgressions. If those aren't in your your account, then what's your excuse for not being pure? Your actions? They're not in your account, apparently. So wait, wait, wait. Now, if people actually believe this, won't they go out and sin like crazy? No, 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 no. People think that they're a sinner saved by grace, and that's the thing that keeps them from sinning. You know, as long as you think you're just a sinner saved by grace, you spend your whole life sinning by faith. Because faith is an exercise in belief. When you have a belief in an identity that Jesus died to sever you from, then you'll return to that belief system as a, as a, you know, as a reference point on how to do life. But if you can get severed from that belief system and you can come into agreement with God that says that you're pure, righteous, perfect, and holy, then your lifestyle will begin to align with that belief system, and you'll walk holy and perfect, pure, and be like, oh my goodness, I'm not even trying to do this. This is just a byproduct of the authenticity of who I truly am in Christ, and you can't take any pride for it because you didn't do it. You just begin to agree with who he says you are. <laughs> It sounds too easy, Bill. You want to do five push-ups? That's fine, go ahead. You don't have to, but... <laughs> Beat circumcision. <laughs> 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 I give you something to do. You'll think that you got, got a chance to take some credit for the salvation that you got. i tell you to pray a prayer that's not in the Bible. <laughs> hmm, <laughs> mm, that sacred cow barbecue is lighting up again, isn't it? <laughs> it's not. One of the most erroneous, one of the most, I mean, look, it works for some people. I think it's nice. It's good. Introduce some people to Jesus is invite Jesus to come into your heart. No place in the scripture where that happens. The Gospel is not you inviting Jesus to come into your heart. He holds you together by the power of his word and the word of his power. He's pretty close. The, the gospel is him inviting you into His. You can't take any credit for how you got there. (laughs) You love me so much, and I'm glad I prayed the magic prayer, and I turned on your love for me. Ah, you didn't choose me. I chose you. And you love me because I first loved you. So let's just get the order right here, all right? I saved you single-handedly. I invited you to surrender to the reality of the salvation that I paid for you so that you could enjoy the benefits of the covenant that I brought you into. So they will not be blind to it. Ah. This is telling you it's good news. Okay, so. <laughs> oh, it's statements like this that trigger so many <laughs> theological conversations when this is over. Direct all your... Theological questions to Jonathan Welton. (laughs) John's like, I am not playing cleanup for you. We're not doing this. Uh, Last one, point three. (laughs) John chapter 16, verse 33. These things I've spoken to you so that me you may have peace. I would have loved if he would have just stopped right there but he doesn't. In this world, you will have trouble, but be of good cheer. (laughs) Remember that joy thing? (laughs) Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Now, here's the cool thing. God is the Lord of time. He can do whatever he wants with it, all right? So if he wants to reverse it, if he wants to turn it upside down, if he wants to roll it slow, if he wants to back it up, Fix something in time, replay something, whatever. He can do whatever he wants in time. I think it's fascinating because you got, you got characters like, like Sarah in the Bible who the historical record said that Sarah heard the word of the Lord and laughed. But you go to Hebrews 11 and she's in the hall of fame of faith and it implies that she heard the word of the Lord and believed. Well, now we got a problem. Because either we have somebody's lying here or heaven sees time and history very differently than we do. I think what we see is a little bit of the pulling back of the veil and see God's ability to be the Lord of time and to go back and rewrite Sarah's history as it ought to have happened. In other words, if his redemptive ability doesn't have the ability to erase the scars that you've put upon the own calendar of your life, then how can we call a perfect God perfect? Would it be possible that you could actually stand in eternity, look back on the record of your life, and see literally no imperfections, flaws. or Otherwise, how in the world has he cast them as far as the east is from the west, but he's left them on the record of eternity for your whole Are you kidding me? You see Sarah being praised, inspired by the Holy Spirit, the writer of the book of Hebrews, whether it was Paul or Apollos, and nobody really knows, but inspired by the Holy Spirit, the writer of the book of Hebrews decides to record Sarah's life as if she did something that she actually did not initially do. And that is, that she believed God. I love that. I'm just telling you, He's better than you think. Really, is better than you. Some of you in here, this ought to make you absolutely happy because you think, you think that there's a scar on the human record of your existence that can never be washed, washed away in eternity. Are you kidding me? Does that make the invention of time, which God invented, more powerful than the God who invented it? I don't think so. I don't know about you, but I don't think he's that weak. Either that or all things are not possible. (laughs) So I want you to see what he does with time here because it's, it's a funny thing. In this world, you will have trouble. Now, in the way we know time is past, present, future, right? Three tenses. In this world, you will have, what is that tense? Future tense. In this world, you will have trouble. Ah, be of good cheer. I have. What is that? Past. That doesn't make any sense. Yeah, unless he can move around in time however he wants. So in other words, what he's saying is this. You know the trouble that's coming in your future? I've already been in your future, and I've already equipped you with everything necessary to deal with every challenge that is coming. <clears throat> I've already equipped you to overcome everything in your future, because I've already been there, I've already seen everything that's happening, and I've already equipped you to handle everything. I'm there, overcome it, you and me, we're together. You'll never face a challenge or a battle that you are not 100,000% equipped to walk out victorious on the other side. Never. Yeah. So now you can be of good cheer. Because he has overcome the world. Now, ready for the punchline of this whole sermon? Fourth point. Oh, there's a bonus point. He said, but wait, there's more. <laughs> he says three times in here, these things I have spoken unto you, so that, or the first one, release what? joy. The second one is so that you may not be kept from stumbling, and that is righteousness. And what was the last one? Peace. Romans chapter 14 and verse 17, the kingdom of God is defined as this, righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. In other words, the kingdom of God is in the Holy Spirit manifest as righteousness, peace, and joy. Every time Jesus makes a sound, he's releasing. The kingdom. What are we doing in this room tonight? Shifting atmospheres, releasing the kingdom of God. It's the declarations of God through the people of God that shift the atmosphere and bring the kingdom manifest here on the earth. What is the kingdom of God? I asked a dear friend of mine, wrote his first book on the kingdom of God 47 years ago. Uh, Papa Jack Taylor I said, Jack, I said, give me the kingdom in a nutshell. He just wrote a book called Cosmic Initiative. It's his manifesto on the kingdom. He did the foreword for Bill Johnson's incredible book, When Heaven Invades Earth, and and is uh, a father of so many amazing, amazing um, uh, just revelations on the kingdom. And this is what Jack texted me. I was in Ireland at the time, and I said, give me the kingdom in a nutshell. I wanted to get it right, so I wanted to go to a guy who's been, like, soaking in kingdom revelation for longer than I've been alive You text me back verbatim. This is what he said. The kingdom of God in its largest scope is the rule of God over everything and everybody everywhere for all time and eternity. In its earthly sense now, the kingdom of God is the silent and steady rule of God over everything everywhere on earth, though not recognized by most. In a personal sense, it's the rule of God over the individual lives through the indwelling Christ. The kingdom is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit who is working in us to conform us to the image of Christ who dwells within. You and I are but vessels which Christ is living through by his Spirit and we're being transformed day by day into his likeness. Listen to this. The kingdom has come Is coming and will come. It's transcendent and transforming and is power. Its power is God working in us to both will and do his good pleasure. This is my favorite part. The kingdom cannot fail. The kingdom cannot fail. I don't care what side of the political aisle you are on. The kingdom cannot fail understand? Catch what I'm saying? I don't care who's in power. I don't care what the news is saying. I don't care what Twitter's going on. I don't care what's happening. I'm saying, shouldn't we care about these things? The kingdom cannot fail, will not fail, and is not failing now. Yes, it's important to be involved in these things as long as you don't let the things of earthly kingdoms rob you of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. You understand, Jesus was living in a time of tumultuous political activity. Jesus, what about the Romans? Have you noticed the lilies? (laughs) Jesus have you read Twitter lately the leaders are tweeting and it's ridiculous this crazy guys check out the sparrows Matthew 6 for those of you who are wondering but Jesus the Romans want us all dead Seek first the kingdom. First. <laughs> this hippie guy isn't taking politics seriously enough. Some people have a grace to speak into that arena. I asked the Lord if I had a grace to speak into that arena, and he was like, "Nah." So for those who do, bless them, bless them. But who kills my buzz? I don't know about you, but it just <laughs> kills my buzz. The kingdom cannot fail, will not fail, and is not failing now. God, being God, will have His way, and for some strange reason, and He writes this, types this. Some strange reason has entrusted us to be living displays of His eternal rule. What an idea! He has commanded us to pray, your will be done. And he would not lead us to pray something that he did not intend to answer. And as we speak, we release the kingdom bit by bit, person by person, heart by heart, family by family, nation by nation. Until the announcement of the angel is fulfilled that the kingdoms of this world have become the kingdom of our God and his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. ever. Amen.